Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. This summer, we're walking through the book of Romans, taking a master class from the rich and powerful book of the New Testament. Romans is one of the greatest books of the Bible. It is the essence of the gospel and provides the rich doctrine of our faith. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and God has used it to change the hearts of men and ultimately the world. In Romans, we see the impact of our sin, which reveals our deep need for God, and then the importance of living out our faith in Jesus today. Whether a lifelong student of the Bible to a first-time believer, this is a masterclass for everyone. Let's listen in. All right, well, Romans chapters 15 and 16 is where we're going to be today. If you want to go ahead and grab your Bible or a device of some sort that you're going to use. There's uh, most of the passages I'm pretty sure will be on the screen uh, behind me. If you, if that's the best way for you to follow along, then follow along that way. Uh, but we're going to work through uh, these two chapters this morning uh, and kind of our conclusion of this series called Masterclass. And uh, if you've been around since the beginning, you know that we've worked through chapter by chapter. This week we're doing two, but most weeks it's been uh, one chapter a week uh, working through the book of Romans. Uh, and, and the past two weeks, I haven't been here with you guys. And so uh, I want to say thank you for one week giving me the space, my family and I, to be able to go uh, and, and spend some time away with family. And that was, it was a good time. We um, uh, went and spent some time with my sister and brother-in-law at the beach. And uh, so I thank you for that. I appreciate you guys letting us, having, let us have that space to be able to do that. It's, it's good to get away. Uh, and Typically, I don't go two weeks, but uh, in, in the process of that, I was asked to preach at our Franklin campus last week, and I knew that um, as much as y'all love watching screens, um, that y'all would not want to watch my face on a screen uh, last week. And so I asked Brandon if he would preach here, and I, I hear that he did a great job. I also hear that he left a couple of minutes on the table, that he was a little short. Uh, and so I decided I would take those minutes and I would add them to mine. Uh, it kind of backfired on you. You thought it was good. Uh, I'm going to use them uh, for this week. So it works for me, uh, not necessarily for you. Uh, but seriously, uh, it, it is great to be able to have pastors that can jump in and are willing to, to come and be along, uh, to come in and preach and to, to proclaim God's word and to, even to have the technology to be able to stream like we did the week before as Pastor Chase worked through um, Romans chapter 13 with us. Um, Again, today we're, we're 15 and 16, uh, and, and I think I said this, uh, well, I didn't say this a second ago. We do have Move Up Sunday next week, but also we begin a new series called God is Able, where we're going to work through, I think, three or four weeks through one passage of Scripture uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, which are really foundational passages for rolling hills. It's kind of uh, some parts of who we are for the past 20 years, it kind of built in inside of these, uh, in these two verses of, in Ephesians, and so, um, and so you will you won't want to miss the launch of that next week. But again, this week, chapter fifteen and sixteen, uh, and and I think it's important as we start to kind of look back where we started fifteen weeks ago. And for some of us, you know, maybe you've been around, you've been around for the whole thing, and, and it's hard to imagine that that was right before the ending of school. Uh, we were wrapping up a school year, and we've gone through the whole summer, and now school starts for some uh, this week and some uh, beginning of next week. And so uh, it's, it's kind of crazy that, that we've gone through all of that, and we've wrapped up a school year, we're starting a new school year. But really, uh, what I'm talking about and just kind of going back is, is remembering some of the significant things that we talked about. As we begin this, this series working through the book of Romans, 
And we talked about how significant this book, this letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes to the church in Rome, how significant it has been throughout history and it continues to be even in our day. And even on that front side, we asked God, we just kept saying, God, would you move in a mighty way as we work through this book? And I know that in individual hearts that many of you have experienced just God's revival in your own hearts and reminding you of who he is and what he's done for you. And, and I remember as we, as we look back, one of the things, just how significant this letter has been, uh, a pastor, a pastor um, summarized the book this way and says this, that the, this the greatest Christian leaders in the past 2,000 years have maintained that Romans is the most important theological book ever written. Augustine said that in Romans, all the shadow, shadows of his doubt were dispelled. John Calvin spoke of Romans as the entrance to all the most, to all the most hidden treasures in Scripture. Martin Luther the great reformer said that the, this is the most important piece of the New Testament, that it is impossible to read it and study it and ponder it or meditate on it too much. He called the central premise of the book, the justification by faith alone, the doctrine on which the church rises and falls. J.D. Greer, the pastor who summarized the book of Romans in this way, says this, in Romans, the apostle Paul works through the most important and pressing questions ever considered by human race with scrupulous logic, showing us that the gospel is the only answer for our questions and the only real solution for our problems. In his letter to the Romans, divided into the 16 chapters that we find in our Bible today, Paul shows us that the gospel is all that we need to live the life that God has for us. It's the, it has the power to transform us. The gospel has the power to transform us into who God wants us to be. And it gives us the hope that we need in the world that we live in. And today as we come to this, the end of the book of Romans and work through these final two chapters, uh, I want to remind us of something that I think is significant that we see that Paul writes to Timothy, one of his kind of disciples, a guy that he's, he's discipling, a young man that's a pastor in, a, in another area that he set up. He writes these words, and I think that they're important for us to remember even as we get to the end of this book, at the end of this letter that he writes here. He says that to Timothy, he writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture provides for us, from, from beginning to end, Scripture provides for us all that we need to know who God is. All the words that we need are found inside of these 66 books that make up our Bible that we carry with us, that we have access to. All of these words, they, they tell us exactly who God is. It's everything that God wants us to know about who he is so that we can trust him and walk in obedience to him and live the godly life that he's called to and experience the abundant life that he's promised us. God's word gives us all of those things. And I think it's important for us to remember that in, in light of where we are in Romans chapter 15 and 16. Because I think sometimes we get to the end of these letters and we think that this is kind of a postscript. He's kind of wrapping it up, saying hello to some of his buddies. But these words that we find in verses chapters 15 and 16, even the greetings that he sends to the people in the, in the book, in the, in the church of Rome, these are all inspired words of God. 
They're just as inspired as chapter 3 and chapter 8 that we said are the most important. These words are just as clearly God's words that we need to hear them this morning. And I believe that what God does through Paul as he writes this letter to the Romans, and if you're following along in your worship guide, that you would see this, that, 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 that Paul closes this letter to the Romans. He's intentional to remind us of six things that we're going to highlight as we work through this morning. Six things that I think we just kind of pull through. And there's, I'm sure that there's way more if we slow down and read through every verse in here. We, we would find more than six. But I think there's six things that I really kind of just, I think that, that, that if we look at it, kind of 30,000 foot view, that we see these six things kind of rise to the top that I think are encouraging for us today as we close this letter out. Before we dive into those things, let's pray together and then we'll, we'll jump in. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you loved us first that you have lavished your love on us is what your word says. You love us best. You love us always and your love never fails. We thank you for, for passages in Romans that we've read even in the past several weeks that, that tell us that nothing can separate us from your love, neither height nor depth, nor nothing in all of creation. So God, we thank you as we come to your word that God, we, we, are, we submit our lives to it to your word. It's our authority. We are not an authority over it. And God, we pray that as we submit, as we yield to your word, that you would teach us who you are. Teach us what it means to follow you in obedience. Teach us what it means to have the full life that you've promised us in Christ. And give us the courage to follow you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So you begin, the first thing that I think that we find here in, in Romans chapter 15, right off the bat, is that God's gospel unites us. And one of the things that Paul, in the close of his letter, he's going to tell us in these, in these two chapters, right off the top, he's going to remind us that God's gospel unites us. In the first seven verses, we see this as kind of a carryover from last week in chapter 14 when he talks about this, this, the, the people of God being united, being one, even though we may disagree on some things, that we are united under Christ. Verse, verse 1, it says this, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. And not please ourselves. I mean, right off the bat, he's like, listen, again, and I'm sure Pastor Brendan said this last week. I said this at, at, at our Franklin campus. What, what, what Scripture's calling us to is to lay down our right to say, I'm going to yield in ways to, to bear with the weakness of other brothers and sisters. I'm going to die to self, not please myself in order to bear with the weaknesses of other brothers and sisters. Each of us should please our neighbor for for their good and to build them up. Even, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, insult, the insult of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in Scripture and the encouragement they provide, we may have hope. In verse 5, may God, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you might glorify God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another. And that word accept means welcome, be hospitable to one another, make room for one another. Then, just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Unity among the followers of Christ 
is, is one of the things inside the body of Christ, inside the church that I believe is most beautiful. And again, this is a carryover from last week. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it, but it's just the reminder that unity inside the body of Christ is one of the most beautiful things about the church globally, but also right here inside of, inside of this cafeteria this morning. That people from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds, stories that, that, that couldn't be more different. Different nationalities, we're talking about different economic stratas, we're talking about different, all the different things, different jobs, different, all the things that could make us different in this room. From the outside looking in, there's no reason for you people to be in this room together this morning except for Jesus Christ. It's one of the most beautiful things about the church. I think, I mean, it's staggering. It's honestly one of the things that in the New Testament, as the church began to, to form, and it, it went from Jerusalem to Judea, to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth, as the Roman world looked in on the church, and there's lots of different things that they saw, but one of the things that astounded them the most was what are all of these people who should not be together, who have no reason to meet together in the ways that they're meeting together? Why are they sharing life together? And the only answer is that Jesus had done something so significant in their hearts that if they had nothing else in common, they had this one thing in common, that Jesus had made them new. It's one of the most beautiful things about the church. And that, you, that, that unity doesn't mean that we don't have uniqueness in, in individuality, right? We are unique. He's created us unique. We have different stories. Again, we have different different personalities that, that God created and he made us in his image, but uniquely we display that image. But in all of those uniquenesses, we have unity in Christ. Two things that I, final thoughts before we move on to the next one. That unity does not mean that we are, unif that, that unity does not mean uniformity. Right? We're not a bunch of robots that all think the same and do the same, right? It's, it's, not, it's not uniformity in the, in the same way that, that, that like armies march in cadence and, and, and do the same things at the same time. We have unity under Christ, even though we, we remain unique, which honestly that unity among that uniqueness makes that one mind and one voice to glorify God that was mentioned in verse six, even more incredible. The second thing that I, that I think before we move on to this, move on to the next, that, that we did not create the unity. That, that what scripture, scripture is clear that we were not the ones that created unity. Only God creates that unity. People can't be unified. I mean, I look, at across, our, look across our culture. We can't unify on much of anything for very long. And even when we do find something, inside of that, we faction off into other things. We don't create unity. By, by, by the reality of what, what happened to us when sin entered the world is that sin fractured that unity first with God. It fractured that unity that we had with God, but it also fractured that unity that we had with each other. I mean, Adam and Eve and their sons, their sons automatically have friction with each other. 
Unity is fracture, it's, it's a fracture that happens between us and God because of sin, but it also happens between us and each other because of that same sin. And what Christ, what, what sin destroyed, Christ came to restore. Christ came and bore our weakness and took our sins on the cross. And the unity that he had with the Father was broken. And in that unity being broken, in that fellowship being broken, in the sacrifice that Christ laid down his life, on the cross and the victorious resurrection from the grave, what sin had destroyed, Christ restored. And so when we, what, what the world is trying to do around us to try to unify what Christ did for us, it's one of those beautiful things that, that we have as, as the body of Christ. Not only am I unified, not only am I connected and have unity with God, but I also have unity with you because of what Christ did. He's the one who created it, not me. What he's called us to do is to keep it. That we are the ones who make every effort, as it says in Ephesians 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 3, to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We don't create it, we keep it. And it is not a small thing to do. Churches all over the United States and all over the world split over really dumb things. If we don't follow these, the, the, what Scripture tells us, that he's given us unity and we fight to keep that unity no matter, no matter what. We fight to keep that unity because Christ has given us that unity. The second thing that I think Paul, as we work through it, that Paul's reminding us of, that he's intentional in these passages, is that God's word encourages us. Partly in verse 4, it says this, that for everything that is written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in Scripture and the encouragement, they may provide, they might give us hope. But verse 8, skip down to that, it says, For, for I tell you that, that Christ has become a servant to the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs, that's talking about Abraham and, and Noah and, and all of those guys in the Old Testament, so the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover that the Gentiles might glorify God, for his mercy, as it is written, and he goes on to quote all of these places in the New Testament or the Old Testament where he, he, they talk about the Gentiles coming into the family of God. And so this picture of, of what it teaches us in Scripture. And so one, one of my favorite pastors to read and even more to hear is a, a guy named J. Vernon McGee. And he, he has passed a number of years ago. But he writes this about this passage. He says, the word of God that we're reading our past, our, our canon of Scripture, these 66 in the Old Testament that they were reading is written for us. God gave it to us. And the Scriptures have a definite application for believers then and for believers today. It is written, they are for our learning. God wants you to know His Word. And He says, ignorance of the Bible is the greatest sin of the hour inside and outside the church. Some of the things that God's word says aren't very nice, but God's, but God's word paints a picture of mankind exactly as he is for us to learn. He doesn't, he doesn't excuse me, how does knowledge of the Bible help us? He continues, the word of God brings patience and comfort and hope. You won't find any hope in the newspaper or online. You won't find hope in modern literature. If you're looking for hope in media, you'll be hard-pressed to find hope there or in any parts, of this, any parts of our dark world. 
the only place that you're going to find real hope is in the word of God. God's word also channels the blessings to the body of Christ when we are united in it. The Jews and the Gentiles were not going to see eye to eye on everything, but together in God's word, they demonstrated their unity and love and consideration for one another because they yielded to each other out of the patience that God had given them. God's word is meant to encourage us. It's meant to, to inform us of who he is and all that he's done, to, to give us what, what he's, how he's called us to live and, 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 and the, the full life that he's, that he's promised us. And when we hear it proclaimed as we gather on Sunday mornings, when we read it, when we study it, when we meditate on it, when we memorize it, and we see it over and over again that his promises are true and they encourage our hearts. When we see over and over again that when he says that he's going to do something, that he does it, it encourages our hearts and gives us peace and hope that those things that he's promised for us now, that he not only did he, did he come, and he's, but he's coming again, and we can have hope in that. It encourages our hearts and gives us hope to walk in the faithful obedience to his word. So Paul reminds us that, his word, that God's word encourages us. The third thing is that God, that Paul's reminding us of is that God's spirit empowers us. If you go to verse 13, it says this, that may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's some really rich encouragement for us in this passage, right? And I feel safe to say that all of us in this room desire what he's saying is there for us. That, right, I mean, to be filled, to be filled with joy and peace, to be overflowing with hope. I, can pro I promise that there's not an individual in this room, if they really think about it, that doesn't want what, what God's word promises, what Paul is saying is for us in this passage. To be filled with joy and peace. I can tell you just this past week, I wish that would have been reality for me. That there were moments in my week that I, that, I, that I wish that this, like, that I was saying, I want to be filled with joy and peace. What I was filled with was anxiety and, and dark clouds of, of, of crazy emotions. I, I had I, to be overflowing with hope. That was not necessarily what was happening for me, even this week. So I, if you're anything like me, this, this promises that it says that are here for us, right? That we may be filled with, that may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him to make you overflow with hope. But the, the problem is that we don't finish that sentence. Is that we feel like we're going to be filled with over, we're going to be filled with joy and peace and overflowing with hope because of something that we do or something that we can get. But it's only by the power of the spirit that lives inside of us. That if you are a believer, if you've put your faith in Jesus, and listen, I'm very much in this, in this passage, I'm, because it's a book that's written to the church. If, if you're not a Christian in the room, listen, I'm, I'm asking you to listen in from the outside because I think that there's something really cool here. But what we're promising, this joy of overflowing, that's not yours yet. It's not a promise that you have that fills you right now. It's a promise that you can, you can claim by putting your faith in Jesus but it's not yours in this moment. As you're looking for joy and hope in all kinds of different places, God's word says you can find it in him. 
But for believers, that joy and hope, that overflowing joy and hope, that, that peace that's found because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. It's not something that we have to go get. It's not an addition to our walk with Christ. When you put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And he fills you with joy and hope. And so in those moments, like I experienced, like, and I'm sure that I'm not the only one, like I experienced this week, pull back and say, God, what, what's causing me to, to, to not feel that joy and hope? To not know that, that, that overflowing hope and the joy and the peace that you promise. And, and a lot of it is just because I'm looking for it in other things, because I'm looking for it in places that God has never promised that I would have it. When I turn to him and say, God, you are the one that brings that to life inside of me. You're the one who animates and empowers this, this joy and hope and peace inside of our hearts. It begins to take over, begins to, to flood again. And, and I did, my heart was overflowing by the end of the week. Honestly, part, partly last night in the middle of the night as, I, as God just woke me up. And reminded me that, I, that I'm his child. And it doesn't matter what others think about him. What, what all of the different things that may have caused those, those thoughts in my heart. Or for my heart to be sad this week. It was a reminder that in his Holy Spirit waking me up in the middle of the night to remind me that I belong to him. And it wasn't going to happen because I had great self-talk. Because I did a lot of self-talk this week. But the power of the Holy Spirit animating and bringing that to life, it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that he empowers us to live the life and he gives us the joy and the peace and the hope that we long for. The, th the fourth thing is that God's, God's purpose directs us. God's purpose directs us in chapter 15, verses 14 through 20. Paul says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, competent to instruct one another. Yet I've written to you quite boldly in some points to remind you of them again because of the grace of God, the grace God has given me. To, the to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, he gave me the priestly duty pr to proclaim the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become the offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Verse 17 says, therefore I glorify God, I've glorified Jesus Christ in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of the, of the sign and the wonders, excuse me, I'm sorry, by the power of the signs and wonders through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way to Elysium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has already, or it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Paul's clear about his purpose, his purpose to proclaim the gospel specifically to the Gentiles. His purpose to, to, to take the gospel to places where it has never been proclaimed. And that, that clarity and purpose gives him direction. And, and I know, and I'm sure that many of you know, that, that clarity and purpose and knowing what your purpose is and what, what God's purpose for you is, 
gives us a lot of, uh, a lot of it's, a, it's a powerful thing. It gives us a lot of joy. It gives us a lot of hope to know what God's called us to. It helps us focus and tune in the, the things that distract us. And being uh, a poster child for ADHD, personally, which is the reason why I'm fumbling all the words this morning, need a higher dose of whatever I'm taking. It's hard to focus. It's hard to clear away the noise sometimes. It's hard to, to see really what the purpose, what your purpose and direction is. And, and, I, and I don't have, we don't have time to break down all the different things. And we've talked about this before, but I, I want to encourage you with two very quick things this morning about finding that purpose and understanding that purpose that God, that his purpose directs us, right? It's God's purpose that directs us. It's what directed Paul. It's what directed him. The first, the first thing is this. Don't miss the purpose in the place that God has you today. It may not be... At, it may not be as difficult to find your purpose as you might think it is if you just look at the fact that God has you in a place today. Just list all the different, just to think about all the different things that you have responsibilities for. It may not that, it may, maybe today God's purpose is not the purpose that he has for you in the, in the future, but today what is your purpose as a, as a grandfather for some of us? Not us, not me, I'm not. No, no. For some of you, a grandmother, a grandfather, as a dad, as a wife, as a husband, as a mother, as, a, as a, an employee at your job. Maybe your, your purpose isn't some far-fetched thing. It's where God has you. If you're a teacher, your purpose is pretty clear. In the place that he has you, you're a neighbor to somebody. So, so your purpose today is to be a neighbor, a good neighbor to the people that he surrounded you by, surrounded you with. You, we don't have to go mining for, for crazy purposes. Sometimes the purpose is as clear as what we're doing. If you're a student, you, listen, school's going to start this week for some of you, next week for some of the others. Your purpose is a student. You don't have to figure out some crazy wild purpose. It's, it's to go to class and listen to teachers, to be a good student and to, and, and, and to, listen, to, to listen to your teacher and do the work that you're, you're, you're given to do, but to be a good friend to your, the, your peers. It's those things. That's your purpose today. Yes, God may have something grand for you, but you're not going to find that grand thing that may be later until you do the things that he's given you right now where you are. Second is that we seek the Lord, not the next thing. I am notorious for seeking the next big thing rather than seeking the Lord. What does scripture say? It says, seek you first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. We put our energies on seeking him, not trying to, I, listen, I know that when I find, when I seek him, he's going to make clear all of those things. He's going to make clear, he's going to add to, to, add to, to my life the things that he needs, that he desires for me to do when I seek him first, not the next thing or the big thing. Seeking him first. Don't miss the purpose and the place that he's got you today. Seek him, not the next thing. Number five. God's people will support us. God's people will support us. His purpose directs us. God's people will support us. 
And this really kind of ends of chapter 15. He writes and he, he, he lets him know. He says, but now, but now there's no, no more place for me to work in these regions. And since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so as I go to Spain. And I hope, that while, I hope to do so while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Paul knows that he's not going to do the things that God's called him to do without the people that God surrounded him with. And you and I have got to recognize that God's people, he's put his people that, that we get to worship with and do community with and serve together with, he's put these people in our lives to support us in the journey that we're on together, individually, but also the journey that we're on together. That we're not going to do the things that God's called us to do, no matter how small they are or big they are, unless we have the support of the people of God that he's surrounded us with. Paul knows it, and if Paul knows it, then we've got to know it. If he knows that these guys are going to be the ones that assist him on the journey that he's on, then we've got to recognize that we need each other for the journey that we're on. And we don't know anything about whether or not Paul actually makes it to Spain that's not recorded for us in Scripture. Somehow the gospel gets to Spain. It may have been Paul. We don't know. It may have been one of Paul's disciples that he sends on. It may have been one of these Roman, Romans that he writes, uh, that, he, that he identifies later on in, in, in chapter 16. We don't know how, how it got there, but we know that it did. And it was the support of those people that made that happen. The gospel was carried because these people supported Paul. Not only did they support, for him, support him, but they prayed for him. In verse 30 through 33, says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the Lord Jesus Christ, by the, the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle and by praying to God for me. Pray that I'll be kept safe by the, from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution that I take to Jerusalem will be favorably received by the Lord's people. And he goes on, he says, I, I pray for me. Not only are we going to support each other in, 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 in community, but we're going to pray for each other. That's how we're going to continue. He's going to surround us with these people, with, with people that are going to lock arms together. We support each other in encouragement. We support each other with prayer. We support each other by, intimate, by having relationships that are strong relationships that we can hold on to. If you read through chapter 16 and the first couple of verses there in chapter 16, you realize that, that Paul knows these individuals so well. In the first 15 verses, he lists 26 different people, 28. There, there's two people that he doesn't actually na give names, but 26 different names of people who has, he has relationships with. He's never been to Rome, but he knows these people. That loving relationship, that them locking arms together, them, them being that constant encouragement and love and, and intimate relationships is what, what supports Paul in his journey. It supports us, not only that we have community and we have support in this big picture, but in the small where we, where we gather in community groups. And we're going to have a um, group link in the next couple of weeks where if you're not a part of a community group, we want you to take a step in that direction to find a place that's your home where you can serve with others and you can have this same kind of life, that same kind of joy that Paul experiences in knowing people well. And last, that they're going to care for each other. Verse, 16, verse 17 through 20 says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, we're going to support each other because we care for each other. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for one another 
for those who cause division and put obstacles in the way that are contrary to the teaching that you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving the Lord, but their own appetite. By smooth talk and by flattery, they deceive the minds of naive, naive people. So he, he, not only are we gonna, we're going to lock arms with each other and we support each other through community and, and praying for each other and, and intimate relationships, but we're going to lock arms and care for each other and protect each other. We're going to call each other out when there's moments that, that, are, that we're, we're listening to other voices that we know are not, that are in con, not in concert with the gospel, that are contrary to what the, God's word teaches. And that only happens when we support each other and live life together. Paul's making a statement of, God's, of the importance of God's people. As he says, as he, as he greets these individuals, and there's so much inside those greetings that we could spend a whole week just on the first 15 verses of chapter 16. We don't have time for that, but, but what I, what's there is over and over again the need that we have for each other, to support each other. And the last thing is this, that, 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 Paul's, making, that Paul's drawing our attention to is that God's worship is what motivates us. God's worship is what motivates us. In Romans 15, um, it's actually 16, sorry, 16, the, the closing verses, 25 through 27, he says, Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with, with my gospel, the message that I proclaimed about Jesus, and keeping the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, by now, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes through faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ, amen. What motivates Paul is the worship of Jesus Christ. His glory forever, amen. What motivates us is, is not, a, not a new building, which is gonna be awesome. Praise the Lord for a new building. What motivates us is not, not awesome programs, and I'm so thankful for, for, the, pro, for the things that we do and the, the opportunities that our kids have to, to, to have ministries and those kind of things. What motivates us is not student ministry, even though that's gonna be incredible. What motivates us is what motivated Paul, and that's the worship of Jesus Christ. That the body of Christ would make much of, the, of Jesus Christ in the songs that we sing as we open up his word and in the times that we gather in community in, in, in circles rather than in rows as we gather to serve him. That, that in all of those places that the worship of Jesus Christ is what motivates us in, in this place and, and, and to the ends of the earth in places in homes right around these neighborhoods. We, we get to have a great facility in neighborhoods and we want the worship of Jesus to carry over into those homes. That's what motivates us. The worship of Christ by his creation. Because it's him that we were meant to worship. And so as we long to find our purpose in life, as we long to find, there's people all around our community that are longing to find the purpose in their lives. And the purpose for their lives ultimately is to worship the one that created them.
And Paul knows it. It's what sends him, what's going to continue to send him, no matter what the cost, to whoever God sends him to. And countless other missionaries that are going to carry the gospel from this time until today and from from now until the end of time are going to carry the gospel to the far-reaching places because the worship of God is what motivates us. His worship. And Paul wants us to make sure that we understand these things as he closes the letter. Again, there's so many other things that are there, and I want to encourage you over the next two weeks as we do wrap up the sermon series this week, the next two weeks in daily steps, finish out this. And so the time that you have to meditate and think through and memorize and study God's word is really important. So that God can, can show you where, where you fit into this and the unity of, of the body and that his gospel unites us and that we need each other and his worship is what motivates us. I'm going to pray and then we're going to move into uh, communion this morning. But as we pray and as you just bow your head, I want to invite you just to make some space for just some quiet time for yourself. Just asking God, just maybe you were here for 15 weeks, maybe you were here for one, but what is it that he wants to do in your heart as you, as you think about and study and, and ponder his word from Romans this morning? What is it, what has he been doing? What is it, what's that next step for you? And maybe you haven't taken, but you know that God's put on your heart over the past several weeks and, and maybe today's that day to take that step to make that commitment personally. And so just in a moment of quiet, just you, you and the Lord, just asking him to open your eyes. If there's a step that you've not taken, if there's something that you've, he's called you to, that he would give you the courage to take that step this morning. Lord, your word is good and faithful. Your word is good and you are faithful. God, I thank you for this morning as we do finish working through this book together, but we know that you're not finished the work that you have in our, in our hearts. For some of us, God, you're just in the beginning of that. And so God, I pray that this morning as we just ask you this question, as we say, God, it, if I've held on to something that you've been calling me to let go of, if, you've, if, I'm, if I'm not taking a step that you've called me to take a step towards, whatever it is, that God, you would give us the courage this morning to take that step, to follow you no matter what the cost. Because even as, in, as frightening as it may be to take that step or to do that thing that you've called us to do, the joy and the peace and the hope that comes in knowing that you are faithful and that you are good and you provide for us everything that we need to walk in obedience to you is greater even than the fear that, of taking that step. So Lord, we pray just this morning that you would help us move to take that step towards you in obedience to you. It's in Christ's name we pray.
Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with friends and family in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.